0: Well, what's happening? How y'all doing today? Good morning. Let's. Uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open to the Book of Revelation. That's where we're. That's where we are for the next few weeks. And um, Revelation chapter two. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna read that scripture in just a little bit. Revelation two. We'll start in verse twelve in just a little bit. And um, I had a plan to start the message a certain way today. In fact, we met on Tuesday. Um, the guys that, that do worship planning stuff, and we had this, you know, I had this idea, and they said, yeah, man, that sounds awesome, and we were going to do it, and um, the longer that I thought about it, the more uncomfortable I got, and last night, I had a hard time sleeping, thinking about, I look, every Saturday night before I go to bed, the last thing I do is I look over my notes, and I pray, and ask God to give me wisdom, and fill me with his spirit, and, uh, and then I go to bed, and Hopefully the last thing I think about is what I'm supposed to teach in the morning. And and all night long I had a hard time sleeping because of the way we were planning on starting this service. And let me tell you what we were planning on doing. I was planning on standing up here and teaching something that's just totally against Scripture for a few minutes. I was going to talk to y'all and make up this stuff and say this stuff that's absolutely against Scripture to make a point. But, But here's why I didn't do it because not all y'all pay attention all the time. and some I'm just telling you this based on what y'all tell me after the service. And some of y'all would have walked out of here saying, Cliff talked such, because you wouldn't have heard the rebuttal later. But the reason I wanted to do that is because today we're talking about a church in Revelation called the Church at Pergamum. Now, what was going on at the Church at Pergamum is there was false teaching that was happening within the church. And the people within the church... We're allowing it to go on. And the reason I wanted to start then, and, and I didn't do it, but like I said, because I, I didn't feel like God gave me the freedom to do that. But the reason I thought about doing that is because if I had stood up here today and I had taught what, what I had thought about teaching, um, chances are there's, there's different groups of you in here that would have reacted in different ways. There would have been one group of you in here that you would have believed every word I said because, well, after all, Cliff said it. And we trust Cliff. And I appreciate that you have that much trust in me. Then there's a, another group of you that would have said, now that doesn't sound exactly right. I think after the service, I'm going to check that out. Maybe I'll ask Cliff a question. Maybe I'll Google it. And then there would have been another group of you in here, you'd have said, heck no, that ain't right. I know, I do, I've read the Bible. And I will get up and and, 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 and in fact, when we were talking about it, I told Donnie, I said, if I do this, I hope somebody stands up and tries to shout me down in the middle of it. That's what I was hoping would happen. That there'd be somebody out there that knows the Bible good enough that would say, stand up and just start yelling at me that I'm a false teacher and I'm, you know, a pagan and whatever else. Now, listen, we're going to get to this in a little bit, but let me say this. Don't put all your trust in what I say, don't put all your trust in what Joel Osteen says on TV or what somebody on Channel 6 says on Nightline, or the preacher you listen to on WLFJ, or that you listen to a podcast every week. Don't put all your trust in anybody, because what happened in the church at Pergamum, we're going to get to that in just a second, is that there were people that folks trusted, people that they looked up to, but they were teaching things that were false. And that's a huge issue. It's an issue in today's church just in the last year, a very prominent pastor who many, many, many people, he used to do these Bible study videos and I know churches all over America, I know churches that use these Bible study videos for their small group Bible studies. And this guy, just last year, he released a book and everything in that book is completely against what the Scripture teaches. But he uses Scripture, he twists Scripture, he does all this stuff and he believes he's right. But it's not what... Scripture says, and he's led I don't know how many people astray. And so you've got to know it for yourself. All right, I'm getting way ahead of myself of what we're going to talk about today. So let me, uh, let's uh, let's just read this letter. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Pergamum. It says this, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols, And by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it here's the the big problem that was happening in the church at Pergamum and that can happen in our church today and in churches across the world today if we're not careful and that is that what was accepted in culture was accepted in the church what was accepted in culture was accepted in the church now I don't know if if, if you've ever watched any TV in the last, surely, surely I'm not the only one that owns a TV. Is anybody else on a television set in here? Yeah. How many people spend, let's just be honest, let's, let's confession time here. If, if you would be honest and say, hey, you know what? I spend over an hour a day watching television, would you raise your hand? Some of y'all lying. All right, that's all right, that's cool, you know. Now, 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 oh, I know some of y'all are like, oh, I didn't raise my hand because I don't really watch TV. I look at stuff on my iPad, all right? Well, that's fine if it's over an hour on that, too. But here's, here's what's going on when you watch television, when you see what's happening in culture. We live in a culture right now that not only tolerates dysfunction, but we celebrate dysfunction. We live in a culture that celebrates the dysfunctional and the obscene and the vulgar. It's not just tolerated. It's not just like, oh, well, it's okay if that's on TV. It's, that's what's being presented. That's what's being celebrated. And and what was going on in the church at Pergamum is that, that what was happening in culture there, and what was happening in culture there was, was bad stuff, was beginning to be accepted in the church. And, and look at verse 13. This is just so you'll kind of know what was going on there. Verse 13, again, it says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now, one of the things that you'll notice, all of these uh, letters to Revelation, the ones we've done so far, the ones we're going to continue to do for the next few weeks, in every one of these cities, we did Ephesus and now Pergamum and, and we got others to go, in every one of these cities, people who followed Jesus were in the minority. If you were a Christian, if you were a follower of Jesus, that you were vastly outnumbered, in, in, in culture, when you went to the market, most of the people there were something else. They were not followers of Christ. And so, even out of all of those cities, all of it was bad news. But out of all of them, Jesus says that Pergamum was so bad that he called it where Satan lives. Where Satan has his throne. Now, what was going on there that was so bad that, that Jesus would say, out of all the cities I'm talking to, this is the one I say where Satan lives. Well, a couple things. One is, there were four different pagan gods who were who were worshipped in Pergamum. So that means there were four different temples there of, of pagan gods who were worshipped. So it wasn't just one that people were dealing with, but it was four different ones. And then even over above all of that, what was even worse than that, is that Pergamum had become the center of emperor worship. Now what I mean by emperor worship is this. In, in the Roman Empire, at, at some point, the, the guys who were in charge, the Caesars, and there were different ones, they started to claim that they were God. Not just that they were appointed by God, but that they were God and they should be worshipped as God. So if you went to Rome... Um, You would go to Rome and and just like the Israelites, when they would go to to Jerusalem, they would take sacrifices to the temple. If you went to Rome, it was understood that you should take some sacrifices and take it to, to this temple that they had in Rome and sacrifice there to whoever Caesar was at that time. And it usually only happened once a year. But in Pergamum, they had built a temple for emperor worship so that people would practice it every day. So it wasn't just a one-year thing, oh, you know what, if we're living in Rome, we got to go, we got to you know, do a sacrifice to Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus or whoever the guy is that's in charge now. It was a deal where it was every single day people were sacrificing, they were worshiping a man just like us, no different than us, they were worshiping him as God. And so what Jesus says there is he said, listen, where you live, it's bad news, I understand in fact, it's so bad, I would say that it's where Satan has his throne. It's where Satan lives. And in fact, it got so bad in verse 13, it says there, you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. Most of the most of the folks that you read that have studied this will tell you that they believe Antipas was actually a guy who had been the pastor of the church at Pergamum. He He had been a leader in that church, and he was teaching the gospel, he was standing up saying that emperor worship is wrong, that worshiping these other four pagan gods was wrong. And so what happened to him as a result of him taking a bold stand for the gospel is that the Roman government had him killed. And so Jesus said, listen, I know that you've, you've had one of your pastors murdered before, you, that you, you live in the midst of all this stuff, and I know it's a bad place to live. And so, so Jesus understood that there was a struggle. But then when he goes on to verse 14, he says, but here's my issue that I've got with you. I understand this is a bad place to live. But then he begins to talk about how some of the outside influence in the culture, some of the dysfunction, some of the the stuff that was vulgar and obscene that was celebrated in the culture of Pergamum, just like those things are celebrated in the culture of America today. Those things began to work their way into the church. And this is what it says in verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. I'm going to give you a homework assignment for this afternoon. So if you're got, if you writing down, go ahead and write this down. Write down Numbers 22 through 25. That's a book in the Old Testament, and it, you can read the whole story about Balaam and Balak. Now, Balak was the, uh, the king of Moab. It was a, a, another country that, that, that uh, Israel was always having wars and stuff against, the Moabites and the Israelites. And, and so Balak was, was afraid of Israel because Israel was growing powerful. And so Balak went to this guy named Balaam, who was a prophet, and he said, listen, I want you to curse the Israelites. So Balaam takes the money. I'm going to go curse the Israelites. He goes to do it. God won't allow him to do that. And there's some funny kind of story in there about how that happens. But then what ends up happening, even though God would, would not allow Balaam to curse the Israelites, instead what happened was Balaam began to just begin to teach and, and, and kind of draw the, the people in. And the Israelites started to have sex with the Moabites. So they started marrying outside the faith. And so so you would have an Israelite person who worships one God, worships the God of Jacob, and, and they would the, a guy would see, you know, this hot Moabite chick, and he'd be like, Hey, you know, maybe we can get something going on here, and, and they were hooking up and, and they were having sex outside of marriage, and it was just this all this stuff was going on all the time. And then what was happening was not only were they having sex with, with the Moabite women who who were who were not Israelites, but then the Moabite women were then leading them to begin worshiping the Moabite gods. And so not only were they they having sex, which was against God's plan for them, but then they were beginning to offer sacrifices to the Moabite gods. And so, so it slowly began to work its way in to the community of Israel. And just so, before you read Numbers 22 and 25 this afternoon, just so you, I'll go ahead and tell you the end of the story, spoiler alert here. This is how serious God took the situation. That God said, I'm killing everybody who's involved in it. And it was 24,000 people God took out like that. That's how serious God was about this situation. And so what, what Jesus says to the, to the uh, people at Pergamum, he says, listen, what was going on a long time ago, you're allowing that to move into the church today because what was going on, there were still people in, in, in that, that day and age, they didn't worship uh, Balak anymore, or, or, or Balaam and Balak anymore, but they worshiped the, the pagan gods of the Roman Empire. And so what they would do, some of these pagan gods of the Roman Empire, it involved temple prostitution. So you would have these women who they made their living by hanging around the temples of these pagan gods. And part of your worship of these pagan gods is you would have sex with these women. You would pay these women to have sex. And that was considered worship. And you would do that at the temple. And so what was happening was, is Jesus said, listen, some of you folks, you're coming to church. You're a part of the church at Pergamum. You say you're a follower of Jesus, but you're also participating in the temple prostitution of the pagan gods. You're worshiping the pagan gods and also you have, you're have you leading a sexually immoral life by doing this. And, and so he's saying this is one of the things that's coming uh, to your, your life here. And then look at uh, the, the next part of uh, verse 15. It says, Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were a group. Do you remember uh, in Acts, when we when we did our study on Acts, if you remember this, um, that, uh, that it got to a point where People were, you know, upset about the way the food was being distributed, and so they appointed seven deacons. You remember that? The the first deacons in the Bible. One of the deacons was a guy named Nicholas. Now, Nicholas later on in history, we're not sure if it was actually Nicholas or if it was followers of Nicholas, but uh, they began to participate in uh, in the same type of thing the temple prostitution but they would actually participate in what were called these pagan orgies that would go on and so they began to participate in that kind of stuff and by the way i'm not saying that's one of the reasons we don't have deacons at our church because we don't want you know any of them to start their own group no i'm just kidding that's not why but um we have elders we have great elders they would never lead anybody to do anything like that and uh, so, but, but, so that's what was going on there with, with the Nicolaitans. And you remember in the, uh, the first letter that we read to in the book of Revelation, Jesus told that church, by the way, I like what you're doing because you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But what was happening in the church at Pergamum, you had people that were participating in temple prostitution. They were participating in what were these, these pagan orgies. And all of this was going on, and they would still show up to church and worship on Sunday with everybody else. And they would still stand there and they would they would lead the church, some of them were Bible teachers, some of them would stand and greet at the door, some of them were on the setup team, setting up for the the baby 's rooms and all this kind of stuff and they were active people in the church and and they they said they were following Jesus, but they were also participating in this other stuff and now what what I think is interesting about this that we need to pay attention to is that this happened to them slowly over time there was never a situation where they said you know what i'm going to turn my back on the teachings of jesus because they they really had not turned their back yet on the teachings of jesus what they were trying to do is they were trying to add to the teachings of jesus okay i can follow jesus but i can also hook up with a temple prostitute every couple of weeks and do that I can participate in the teachings of Jesus, but I can also go to this pagan orgy, and I can be involved in that. I can, I can you know, deal with the teachings of Jesus, but I can also give a sacrifice to a pagan god. I can also give a sacrifice to the, to the temple of the emperor and, and be involved in emperor worship as well. It, it kind of reminds me, it, it would be kind of like, and I think an example that we can all relate to, Those of you that are married or or have been married, remember when you first got married? You just remember how, man, you were just so in love. You just made people sick to be around you because y'all were just so in love with each other. And you just couldn't wait to be alone and get your hands on each other and all that kind of stuff, you know? And it was just great just being young and married and in love and having those private times and going on dates and having those conversations. And then after time, you know, as a, as a man, you know, you, you start putting on some weight. And she starts putting on some weight. And you get hair on your back and she gets no hair on her back, hopefully. and The conversations are a little less. And so then, then you know, you're a man and, and, and you get a, and, and you know, you're, you're faithful to your wife. I'm going to just be faithful to my wife. But then you got a subscription to Sports Illustrated and, and, uh, and you, did, you never bothered using that 1-800 number they put in there to say, hey, don't send me the swimsuit issue. And you just start looking forward to that thing coming. Man, it's cold outside and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at these hot babes in these bikinis. And oh my gosh, look, this one ain't even got anything on. And you just spend a lot of time looking at that. But you're still married to your wife. You haven't turned your back on her. You still love her, but you just kind of have added this into it and then ladies, you you know you you still you, you love your husband and all that, but then you, you get, start buying these romance novels, and you read about this stuff that you know goes on between these men and women and it's and it's basically just a you know pornography written down on paper because you would never look at pornography, but you sure will read it, and it gets your heart racing in a certain direction, and oh, if I just had a man that would do that to me what that guy did to her and the men. You're looking, man, if I just had a wife that looked like that in a bathing suit instead of the way my wife looks in a bathing suit. But the whole time you're still married. You're still committed to each other. You haven't messed around. You, you 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 haven't had an affair, but you've just added this other stuff into your marriage. See, that's not the way it's supposed to be. My desire sexually is supposed to only be for my wife. And my wife's desire emotionally is supposed to only be for me. And when we allow this other stuff to come in and we just kind of added other stuff into it and we think it's okay because we're still married. And see, what was going on at the church of Pergamum, they said, we haven't turned our back on Jesus. We're still following Jesus. We're still worshiping, but we've just added these other things in there. And they thought it was all right. But I want you to notice what Jesus says, and I want you to notice what Jesus is angry about here. He's angry that they've done that, but not only is he angry that they've done that, he's angry that they've tolerated other people in the church to do that. He's angry about the fact that, you know, you're showing up, and let's say you show up to church, and you hear me, and I stand up, and I'm teaching something that's false, and you just say, well, I'm just going to go on home, because Cliff probably knows more than me. Jesus says, no, don't listen to that. Don't don't put up with that stuff in your congregation. You need to go to those people and you need to say to them, listen, it's wrong for you to be doing the practices of the Nicolaitans. It's wrong for you to be involved in temple prostitution and going to pagan orgies. This stuff is not right. This is not what Jesus has called us to do. Because what was going on is that what was accepted in the culture was beginning to seep into and be accepted in the church. And that should never be. See, what's supposed to happen is what is taught in church should change culture. What is taught in church should change culture. When we read the Scripture, if we know it and, and we're doing that, then, then we should be able to go out into the community and we should be able to teach and, and help people understand and they should understand that, that what they see on, on TV, on you know, the Kardashian shows and all this other garbage, that they would say, that's not normal. That's not normal, That's not right. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life. The people of the Jersey Shore aren't supposed to, to you know, that shouldn't be our standard for living. Because what our standard is is the Bible and we've got to know the standard. We have to know the standard. And listen, let me we're going to talk about this for a few minutes. And I'm not just talking about me knowing the standard. I'm talking about all of us knowing the standard. Because the only way we're going to know what parts of culture We should accept and what parts of culture we should reject as if we know the standard. Look back at verse 12 of the the letter. The very beginning, it says this. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. All right, those of you, if you grew up in a traditional Baptist church and you had to do Bible drill, your parents made you go to Bible drill, even though you didn't want to, I want you to raise your hand if there's anybody else in here like that. All right, awesome. What is the sharp, double-edged sword, Bible drillers? The Bible. Remember when you would do it and you would say, present swords, and you'd have to do like this? Find Psalm 92, and you'd be flipping through there, all that kind of stuff. By the way, I just let confession, I was a Bible drill dropout, all right? So there's hope for you. If you didn't make it to the state Bible drill finals, you're going to be all right, all right? When he says, Jesus says there in verse 12, I'm the one that has the sharp double-edged sword. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, the reason Jesus started off this letter saying, Hey, I'm the one with the sword I've got the Word of God is because what he was confronting the church at Pergamon was about was that they were putting up with false teaching. And Jesus was saying, listen, you need to do away with that false teaching and you need to get back to the sword, which is the standard, which is the Bible, which is the Word of God. That's what the standard is. I've told this story before, so if you've heard it, just be patient with me. But when I went to, uh, when I went to seminary to uh, to you know, try to learn how to do what I do today, and um, I, I, I took my very first test, and it was Dr. Robertson's theology class, and, uh, and it, i you know, been there a couple of weeks and had my first test, and I was nervous as anything, took it, and next day, come back to class, and he gives the test back, and uh, I'd made a 95, and I was like, yes, made an A on my first seminary test, I was so excited. And a guy sitting next to me, he opened up his little blue book, and he had like a 98. And <clears throat> he said, what'd you get? And I said, I got a 95. He said, oh, man, that's awesome. That's your first test. And I said, yeah. He said, man, that's awesome. Make a B on your first test in seminary. I said, what are you talking about, man? I made a 95. He said, yeah, it's a B. I said, man, you're crazy. A 95 is always an A. Everywhere I've ever been, 95 is an A. He said, not here, it's not. An A was 96 to 100. And so when I got my 95, I was excited. And by the way, I was still excited with a 95B. I was still cool with that either way. But when I got my 95, I thought I had an A. And the, the reason I thought I had an A is because I was judging myself on an old standard. The standard of where I went to college, 95 was an A all day long. Standard where I went to high school, 95 was always an A. Where I went to middle school, where I went to elementary school, always an A. And that's the standard I was judging myself on. But when I got to seminary, I didn't realize the standard had changed. Now an A was a 96. And what happens to us as followers of Jesus is oftentimes we judge ourselves by the standard of culture. We judge ourselves by the standard of the world. And Jesus says, listen, you're not going to be judged by what the world thinks is okay and not okay. You're not going to be judged by what oprah thinks is okay and not okay by what fox news thinks is okay and not okay you're going to be judged by what the bible says is right and what the bible says is wrong that's what we're going to be judged on that's why in verse 16 of the letter jesus says this repent therefore otherwise i will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth talking about the word of god that's what you're going to be judged on you're going to be judged on how are you living in response to what the Bible says. And here's the thing. If you don't know it yourself, if you don't know what the Bible says, then what will happen is everything that you hear that sounds like a good idea, you're going to want to follow that way. Oh, you know what? I heard the other day on TV where it says that Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and we're all following the same path and we're all going to heaven. That's going to sound like a good idea to you because that's what culture says, but, but that's not what the Bible says. You're going to, you're going to hear something that says, oh, I, I heard on TV where, you know, sexual immorality is okay. And you're going to want to follow that path because you don't know the standard and you need to know it for yourself. You don't need to depend on me to know it for you. You don't need to depend on Donnie to know it for you. You don't need to depend on your life group leader to know it for you. You need to know it. And the only way to know the standard, the only way to know the Word of God is to read it. That's it. There are no shortcuts. The reason that we started off our our church year this year in the book in January, and we said, hey, we want everybody to read the whole New Testament in 30 days. The reason we would make some kind of crazy challenge like that is because I want you as as followers of Jesus who live every day in the world, who go to school, who go to work, who live in a neighborhood, I want you to know the Bible without having to call me every time you have a question. Not that I mind you calling me, but you need to know it for yourself. You need to read it, and the only way to know it Is to read it. I think sometimes we we come to church, and and we expect church to be like spiritual steroids or something. You know, you take steroids and you work out a couple times and you're all pumped up. You know, instead of doing it the old-fashioned way where you work out about a thousand times and then you're all pumped up. And I think what we want to do is we want church to be like spiritual steroids. I ain't got time to read the Bible. I'm a busy busy person. I got this and that going on. I got 500 messages in my inbox, and my email, and I just don't have time to read the Bible. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to pay real close attention, man. Cliff's going to blow me away with something for about 35, 40 minutes. And and then I'm going to go out of there and I'm going to be ready to take on the world with Jesus because I'm going to have heard the word. It doesn't work that way. You've got to read it every day. And listen, let me say this too. You've got to read the Bible, not books about the Bible. It's real easy to go to the Christian bookstore. Ooh, I need me a good devotional. And you find something and you open it up and on Tuesday it's got one verse across the top of the page and you read that and then it's got a story about an old lady serving tea to her next door neighbor and how she took in a stray dog and it tells you something to pray at the bottom and you do that and you think, whew, I've been so good. I just know Jesus so much better now. I'm not saying devotion books are wrong but I'm saying if that's all you're doing, we got to read the Bible, the whole thing. All right, I'm going to do something crazy right now. Some of you here, you have your Bibles with you today. I need, I need six volunteers. Six volunteers. You need to have your Bible with you, or either the Bible on your phone or your iPad or your laptop or whatever it is, or an, a regular old-fashioned Bible with pages. I need six of you that are willing to have your Bible and are willing to and, and can read. I want you to come up here on the stage right now. Come on. Let's go. Six of you. There's uno. There's dos. There's three. There's cuatro. There's five. <laughs> and there's seis coming right there. Y'all think I didn't know my Spanish numbers. I know them. I can count all the way up to 100. Maybe. I don't know. Now, this is what we're going to do. Just a, just a little just to show you that the Bible really is the standard. I'm going I'm to say some things that culture says, and then we're going to have our folks up here, our 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 uh, faithful volunteers, they're going to read to you what the Bible says. So so I'm going to say, this is what culture says, then they're going to tell you what the Bible says. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, talk amongst yourselves, okay? It's President's Day. Tell every Tell the person sitting next to you an obscure president right now. Go. Here's something culture says. Here's something culture says. Culture says, I want to be a billionaire. In fact, culture says that so much, that was a hit song last year. I want to be a billionaire. You remember that song? All right, that's what culture says. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6, 9. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Read the first part one more time, the very first part. People. People who want to get rich. Not people who are rich. People who want to get rich. I want to be a billionaire. That's such a stupid idea when you read the Bible. All right. Next. Here's Here's what culture says. It's all good. It's all good. If you're a Muslim... If you're a christian if you're a buddhist we're all we're all just walking different paths going to the same place worshiping the same god the god of abraham is who the muslims worship the god of abraham is who christians worship jesus uh, jesus died and it doesn't matter if you believe in that or not if you're jewish or whatever we're all going in the same direction what does the bible say john 14 6 says jesus answered i am the way the truth and the life the only way to the father is through me jesus said i am the way the truth and life the only way to the father is through me all right? Here's what culture says. Culture says if somebody does something to you, you do it back to them harder. If they, like in a few good men, they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue, right? And that's the way we operate. What does the Bible say? Matthew 5.39 says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. By the way, that's from the Sermon on the Mount. And there's all kind of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount that goes totally against what our culture teaches all right next one here's what the world says world says you need to try to go out and you need to have a lot of sex not only do you need to have a lot of sex you need to have sex with as many people as you can have sex with because that's going to make you happy and that's going to fulfill you and and until you're married you need to hook up with as many people as possible because that's just going to be the way that, that you're going to fulfill your life. And, and they, they have TV shows about that. And they have, they have reality shows about that. And that's what it's all about. And what, the Bible, what does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians six eighteen says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What is the first word in that that says to do with sexual immorality? Flee. Get away from it. Get away from it. All right. Next. culture says this, if somebody does something mean to you, if they, if, they, if they do something against you, it's okay to hold a grudge against them as long as you want to. In fact, it's natural. You can't be expected to forgive them of that. They, they were so ugly to you, it's just going to take you a long time to get over that. You can hold on to that, and, 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 and that's, that's just okay. What, is, what does the Bible say? Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And then the last one. Culture says if somebody has done something mean to you and and, and they they they've just they're kind of like your nemesis and they, they just always are talking bad about you and that kind of stuff, that the way you can respond to them is, it's okay if something bad happens to them, you can kind of celebrate that. You might not want to do it out in the open, but you can celebrate that privately and be glad that they got a divorce or be glad that they lost their job and that kind of thing, because that makes you feel good inside when something bad happens to the person that you don't like. But what does scripture say? Uh, Matthew five forty four says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, give our volunteers a big hand. Thank you all. You all are awesome. Now, that's just six examples that I thought of sitting at my desk this week. And it shows us how different what culture says is based on what the Bible teaches And we're not going to be judged by what culture thinks is right and wrong. We're going to be judged based on what the Bible says. And if we're not careful, as followers of Jesus, we will find ourselves allowing the teachings of culture to slip into our lives. And we're not turning our back on Jesus. We're not walking away from Him. But we begin to say, hey... Yeah, I believe that Jesus is a way to get saved, but I don't know if I believe he's the only way. I'm going to let some of this other stuff come in. Yeah, I I believe that forgiveness is good, but it might not be good for everybody, so I'm going to let some of this other stuff come in. And we allow the teachings of culture to seep into our lives and into our church. But what, let, let me be very clear about this. What you believe matters to Jesus What you believe matters to Jesus. And here's why it matters so much. Verse 17 says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. The reason what you believe matters so much to Jesus is one day you're going to spend eternity with him. That's what verse 17 is. Verse 17 is a promise that it says if you follow Jesus and, and you stay faithful to him and he's going to stay faithful to you, that this life is going to be over. And it says he's going to give you a white stone with a new name written on it. That's going to be your entry pass into heaven. And he's going to give you, and here's what I think the name that's going to be written on it is, Jesus. And we're all going to show up with our white stones at the the gates of heaven and we're going to say, hey, I got one here that says Jesus on it. And they're going to say, if you know Jesus, you come on in. And the reason why what we believe matters so much to him because we're going to spend eternity with him is because what we believe is preparing us for that eternity. When When I met Sherry and started dating her, I, I wasn't talking to her and getting to know her because I just wanted information for information's sake. I could have found out, in fact, I did. I found out a good bit of information about her before I ever asked her out. I did my homework, right? Guys, you know, you got to do a little background checking. And I had done that. I knew I already knew where she was from. I already knew who she was related to. You know, I, I knew where she went to high school. I knew all that kind of stuff. I knew who she dated before me. And so... I'd done some background checking. So when I got to know her, I wasn't just there, you know, gathering information as we dated. When we were dating, what we were doing was we were learning to know each other so we could be prepared to spend a life together. When you read the Word of God, you're not just reading it to gather information. You're reading it so that you can be prepared to spend an eternity with Jesus, that He's changing you as you read it. He's, he's transforming you. There's a verse in, in the book of Romans that says that you are not to conform to the ways of the world, but you're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind happens when you read this book. We're going we're to close with a word of prayer. Our band's going to come up. And this is what I want you to just walk out of here thinking about today. Is that the Bible, we, we have a gift. It really is a gift. We are, we are blessed uh, to live in a country where you can own not one copy of the Bible, but several. In fact, most of you in here probably would say, yeah, I got three or four sitting at the house. Nobody's even using them. I got one on my phone and on my iPad and on my laptop, and I can access it through the Google Cloud and whatever else, and you got the Bible just at your fingertips, And that is a gift that we have and I don't want us to miss out on the gift that God's given us that we can read it every day we can allow the words of the Bible to transform us into the people He wants us to be. And then when when we face things like the church at Pergamum faced, where culture wants to seep in we'll be spirit filled enough and know the Bible enough to say hey wait a minute that's that's not right. I know that that everybody else in the world I know that that public opinion says that's right but I have read the bible and I know that Jesus has told me that's not right and instead I should live this way and my prayer is for our church that we would be a church that knows the bible so much that we can go out and then we can then change culture instead of being a church that doesn't know the bible enough and we go out and the culture changes us so let's pray together Father God, thank you for, for the gift of Scripture. I pray that, that all of us, including me, Lord, most of all, that, that we would cherish the Bible, that we would read its words, that, that we would memorize its words, that we would live by its words. And Lord, that it wouldn't be just about trying to gather information to win a trivia contest, but that it would be about getting to know you and allowing you to change us so that we can be prepared to live with you for eternity. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for giving us your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.